Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. With over 20 years in healthcare, Dr. Gray is a doctor of oriental medicine and holistic physician fusing Eastern and Western healing. Dr. Gray is on staff at Jupiter Medical Center and in private practice with an office in Jupiter, Florida, where he resides. Dr. Gray enjoys being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Baden-Baden, Germany, and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and Biarritz, France. He is co author of several books on food therapy and the founder of the annual Star Summit Talks at the Norton Museum of Art in Palm Beach, Florida. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. Welcome back, everyone. This is Maximum Health Radio, quality living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. Thank you for joining us. We have Lynn Shaw or Lynette Shaw from the Lynn Shaw Group in the house today. And I'm so excited because um, I recently went to an event that she really put together, and it was this huge, huge national event honoring and awarding first responders from around the country. And um, I was able to be a guest of hers and just enjoy a tremendous evening and learn so much about the, um, the heroic nature of a lot of these individuals and you know, as their stories were being told and how they were being honored, I saw also a lot of love for you, Lynn. Um, a lot of, like, just truly deep appreciation for your contributions and bringing awareness to the mental health of our first responders on a national level. And so in awe, um, it really kind of gave me added appreciation for having been introduced to you through... Townley, yeah. Dr. Townley, a mutual friend of ours, and uh, she's a psychologist, which is cool. And so there's this whole mental health movement, which leads me to the hashtag on your T-shirt that says hashtag just talk about it. Absolutely. So give us a little bit of history of your background, which is incredible. I read the article mm-hmm. on you that talked about at one time you being this, I mean, you were a bounty hunter a bounty hunter from a young age yeah yeah and uh went into law enforcement you yourself have been uh, received many accolades and then you are retired and decided to do this <laughs> which is support our first responders and their mental health and bring awareness to it so let's take us back to that beginning of of being the bounty hunter well, at what age was that uh, I, I started really early. Uh, my dad was a bail bondsman in yeah. Patterson, New Jersey. Yeah. And um, I worked in his office at 11, 12 years old because there was nobody there to uh, take applications uh, yeah. from people that wanted to get out of jail. And so I quickly uh, learned the community. Mm-hmm. I quickly, um, I learned very fast. And the police officers who were across the street used to come with a book and say that um, we're looking for this guy, this guy, this guy, people Mm -hmm. that would jump bail, people they have warrants out for. And of course, I'm working in my dad's office. He's take me to the jail and I take photographs of the people that he was bailing out and at the same time talk to the family. So I got really close to those families and also to the guys, the drug dealers, uh, whoever we bailed out. Um, on the street, here's a little girl who's doing this stuff. So they're, you know, they, they like me. Right. And um, so what happened was when the police officers came over, 
I realized that I had a photographic memory. So when they showed me the book, I'm like, I know where he is, he is, he is. So at the tender age of 12, mm -hmm. um, they asked my dad if they could borrow me for a minute and put me in the back of a unmarked police car. And we rode up to an area where I know these guys were and immediately I spotted two of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, officers jumped out the car and uh, left me in the back seat but the car was rolling, so I jumped over the seat, and Ooh. I'm telling my age now, uh -huh. and I put it, I put it into you know in, into a park yeah. and jumped back in the back seat. Yeah. Here, here they come back with these two guys in in cuffs oh. and put them in the car right next to me, and they oh, were like, geez. Lynette, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. And I, I was like, well, you didn't go to court. And they said, well, we didn't get a notice. And I said, you know what? If you didn't get a notice, I'm gonna call my dad, we'll vacate the warrant, and I'll get make sure he gets you out. Yeah. Now I'm 12, right? <laughs> sure enough, they, wow. it, the notices went to a, the wrong address, yeah. and um, I said, Dad, we shouldn't arrest, you know, even yeah. though we had the warrant. So he went in court and got those warrants vacated. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, the word on the street was, if you have any problems, go talk to Lenny's daughter. She, she got you. Oh, and so, wow. So from that time on, also, yeah. police officers used to come over and borrow me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd go out with them. So they pretty much taught me everything. And at the age of 18, um, I had an eight-man squad of my own. They had taught me how to hit houses. Um, I'd go with them into New York City. Um, I was doing undercover work in on 125th and Morningside, um, and then traveling all over the country and really all over the world um, mm. because people, when they jump bail, they'd run to Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, right. um, Cayman Islands. I even yeah. had the opportunity to go to um, to bring somebody back. Uh, and probably at the age of 22, uh, the New York Post followed me around. Uh, and deemed me America's top bounty hunter because at that time I was bringing over 400 uh, fugitives in per year. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know about you guys listening, but I my mouth is on the floor right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you, at what point did you become officially law enforcement? Did, you know. uh, not until, I did the fugitive investigations for about 13 years okay. uh, and moved to Europe for a little while and lived in Germany, Nuremberg, Germany, and also in Kensington in London for a while once they blew my cover and put me on the front page of newspaper. And mm. I had also gone on to Joan Rivers show and a mm. few other shows of Sonny Grosso's Top Cop. Mm. Uh, uh, just they wanted to know, you know, how, how are you doing this, you know? So um, I then when I came back from Europe, I just applied for the first police department uh, that that was hiring. And I was hired immediately, William Patterson, police department and um, took that job and they immediately put me into the detect detective bureau which is not normal right but yeah, they put me in the bureau <laughs> yeah well, they call I, it work a beat <laughs> yeah that. the yeah. figure you know I had that experience yeah. and um, it was a university it was on a university campus which is very different from I'm used to kicking indoors mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. being out on the street with gangs and all that kind of stuff and doing undercover work and and shooting galleries, uh, mm. shooting galleries being um, where people go and shoot up drugs. And so I did a lot of that stuff. So this was a totally different policing 
um, that I was getting into with, with regard to, you know, rapes and uh, guns mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But it, it was a little bit different because it, I wasn't just going to apprehend somebody. I had to do full Research investigations and, yeah. and, and, you know, and like that. But um, what ended up happening is I got sent to a crisis intervention class from the police department. And um, it pretty much changed my life mm. let's before we go into that because i do want to talk to that let's let's talk about that time of kicking in doors and you know and and the things that may or may not have happened to you mentally physically and how do you train for something like that how do you get into character for something like that because that's not an average human being's existence it's not so uh as a child, um, a, a, my upbringing pretty much brought me to where you know I I am, and as a child, uh, I lived in a one-parent home, and there was a lot of domestic violence and abuse, and um, even at that time, at the age of seven, um, I was abducted at school, mm -hmm. and and dragged into a building, and left there for dead. Wow. Uh, and so that kind of sparked something. And I was seven years old, and my, my whole disposition in school had changed, and not one person saw me. Not a teacher, not a principal, not a security guard, not, meaning my behavior changed in such a way. Uh, I was a decent kid, right? And when I came back, I was very, after that event happened, um, I was very angry. I fought a lot. I stuck up for people that I saw being picked on. Mm -hmm. uh, and my behavior changed drastically, and I felt like nobody saw me. And so that event um, kind of shaped, you know, along with the domestic violence in the home, the things that I saw going on, and also me being abused myself um, by um, a caretaker. Uh, and, you know, it, it kind of shaped me into a person. My, my dad was a guy that, you know, always, you know, told me, you know, you're tough. You're not like your mother. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're tough. And so that kind of stuck in my head and, you know, and... It, it really shaped where I was You kind of saw at. that as a compliment. Mm. It, it is, it's very, a, a weird dynamic, yeah. meaning uh, my dad was the abuser. Right. And, then and he's telling you you're tough. He's telling me I'm tough and yeah. and abusing, but then pumping me up on the yeah. other side. You know, yeah. it, it's pretty much a classic example. Yeah, so of you want to be good at what your parents tell you. I just had a show where that's what we were, you know, uh, we were talking about teaching children yeah. kids want to be good at what you tell them they're good at yeah. you know they grow up wanting to be good at that thing and so that's even in that dynamic that's what you're hearing like I, and, I need to be tough and I was a scared kid um, yeah. you know I, I can remember a time where uh, kids ran me home from school because I'm a light-skinned black girl and I'm in a black neighborhood um, and I look Puerto Rican and um, I, I remember three girls running me home from school, and I was so scared. I ran into the house, and my dad was there. And he said, if you don't run back out there, I'm going to beat your 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, you go take care of that. And so I went and got a butter knife from the kitchen. Mm. And I ran outside and I looked at the knife before I even got to the girls and I threw it. Mm -hmm. And I just jumped on the biggest girl there was and I just fought and they ran afterwards and that was like the you know i i just started to get courage through a whole lot of anger that i was you mm -hmm. know feeling and it just translated into you know um when i went into a few different investigations the thing is is that i've always had compassion even for the people that i locked up yeah um and i'm not I can tell about you just from the conversations we've had that you're always seeing the both sides. It, you know, it's not one-sided for you at all. It, it's not. And, and what I always realize, even with people who, you know, commit crimes and, and, and things like that, that they've been through something. Um, it, it, it's not necessarily, you know, they didn't, they weren't born, you know, somebody that robbed somebody or somebody that's on drugs. They weren't born that way. And so I, I just realized very early that people have a story. Everybody has a story. And where you end up is, you know, from the choices that you make. But some people don't have those mentors and they don't have those, right. you know, people. I, I didn't have any of that. Um, how I got in, in a right state of mind with all of the abuse and trauma that I experienced, it just has to be the grace of God because... Yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I just don't know how, you know, that transpired after all, you know, I've been through some tremendous um, abuse. Was what you did and decided to do then part of the therapy that brought you to what you are doing for others now? Absolutely. Uh, once I realized that I needed help, um, and that wasn't until I was fully into the police department, uh, again, going back to um, knocking down doors and jumping from roof to roof mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and doing the, you know... Um, superhero thing. I think people <laughs> I'll think say it. You may not say it, right? but that's, yeah. Uh, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, I told you I had eight men working for me um, yeah. and with me. And they loved me. They're like, oh, she's tough. She's right, just not. Right, yeah. But what they didn't realize is I was reckless. You know, I exhibited every single sign as somebody that was suicidal, and they ha did not have a clue. I yeah. ran into. You, you were the Mel Gibson partner in Lethal Weapon. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, th that that's absolutely. Yeah. There, there's so much truth De to death that. Death wish, you know. And yeah. and and it always turned out where I got the I got the guy yeah. and. Uh, people loved me, even the people I locked up, and mm -hmm. and and I always respected, even if I was in a fight mm -hmm. or whatever, you know. I always respected and said, I don't know how you got here, but when you get out, you look me up. Mm -hmm. If you really want to get your life straight, I'll mm -hmm. get, I'll help you get a job mm -hmm. and wow. things like that. So people have come back to me after being locked up. I locked them up, yeah. and said that I changed their lives and and their mothers that. Um, had put up their homes to get them out of jail and whatnot. Thank you for saving my home right. and, and things like that, you know. And um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I, I am very um, grateful that I had the opportunity to, you know, yeah. w while doing that job, to pour in 
to other people's lives, yeah, you know what I mean? In some force, way. Not just a negative force. Now, now you were saying, though, uh, there was a time and, and after that, and then you got into the police force, and then something switched, something clicked, yes. and you said, I need help for me now. Well, I need. Well, uh, it, it, something change. did not click. Here's uh, what I'm going to tell you what okay. happened. So uh, I was in the detective bureau and I was doing a um, stalking panel. And there were 200 students in the room and I was on the panel um, to talk about, you know, stalking and, and some tips to the students. But on that panel was a prosecutor who also, you know, was contributing to the, to the panel. And he brought a audio tape. And when it came on, it was a little girl's voice. And she said, help, please. And when that happened and I heard that voice, something opened up inside of me and I started getting flashbacks. It's like something cracked open in me. I'm sitting there, 200 kids in front of me, and I'm getting flashbacks to me being dragged into a building by six boys tied up. And and I could smell, I could hear, I, I all of the, right there I'm sitting on the panel and something opened up. I answered, don't know how I did it, answered two more questions from students and ran out of that place and into my car and was screaming. I thought that I was losing my mind. Mm. And so at that point, uh, I just didn't know what was going on. I started drawing actually what happened and, and you know, different things, uh, sat in the shower and wouldn't get out. And I mean, it. I didn't know what was happening. And um, one of my friends, uh, you know, got me to somebody who was a therapist, um, a theophostic ther therapist, um, more Christian-based kind of. Um, and I didn't want to go. <laughs> I did not want to go. I was fighting it all the way, but um, finally went to the therapist because I was, I had decompensated. I, I mean, I really had lost it. Um, and went there, and the very first session with this therapist, I must have gone through four memories, and I could barely walk when I walked out. Uh, but I had no recollection of any of this stuff, and all of a sudden it all came came up. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a tough, 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 tough time. Uh, but I stuck with the therapy. And I have experienced healing like I never thought that anybody could experience healing, you know. And mm -hmm. it's been it's been about 20, 25 years since that occurred. And what other life-changing patterns did you incorporate besides going to therapy? And that maybe was inspired by the therapy. Yeah, I, you know, well, a lot of things you know when you're doing police work you you're really into the police work right mm -hmm. but I realized that I needed you know for me um, and and it's different from everybody because it's not e not ever one size fits all with a therapist yeah. or or any other modality or things that you do to you know help yourself to heal yeah so therapy was a large part of it exercise was also a large part of it and I am a person that um, I talk about what's going on inside me. And I wasn't at first, but when that, you know, opened up in me, 
I realized the release mm. was freeing. And um, and I was able to, you know, continue to do that. So it was better than keeping it packed down tight in well, some that, compartment. Because oh, that, that was that was the explosions that were keep happening. Yeah. And, from that fi- that fire and fuse inside yeah, there. And you're yeah. and if you hold that trauma, the the things that you've been through that you have not really navigated or dealt with, you hold that stuff in and it makes you sick. Yeah. I mean literally sick. Yeah. And and physically sick. And also it, it can affect relationships and, yeah. and the way you deal with other people. And I did I didn't want any of that, you know, messing with my relationships, messing with right. I have four children um, and they're freaking amazing and, and that I was able to um, raise them in a way where my trauma didn't bleed all over them. Right. You know, I wasn't angry with them and, mm. and I wasn't abusive and, you know, and, pe- you know, it, it's people say hurt people hurt people. And, mm. and I, I am very proud of the fact that I got the help and I, I, I did not bleed on others but I was able to help and pull others up I, you know I, I just always reach back because I wish someone had done that for me right you know and and so you have the Linshaw group tell us the function of Linshaw group now fast forward past because that's so we went through a few phases of your life and professions and now you retired from the force and then you established the Linshaw group how long ago uh, well I established Linshaw group uh, in 2018 before okay. I retired okay a couple up uh, probably four years before I retired and what we do is uh, he- here's what I'll tell you the school where I was abducted uh, and and I my very first job, I have had a contract with school number 10 in Patterson, New Jersey, and I trained 800 teachers, principals, um, counselors to recognize signs and symptoms of mental Ill- illness in young people. Right. Uh, and, and that was the first school that I went back to and, and was able to do that, which was... That's, that's <laughs> cathartic in itself. Yes. I mean, that's the, the beginnings. I went back to the first, and it was ironic. I, I had no idea, you know, what what I was going right. to do with this. And, you know, you're first starting off in a business. I, I know mental health, of course. I taught in the police academy and, and, and whatnot with my job. but um, And I taught crisis intervention. And so I really know a whole lot about mental health and then my, men, my own mental health experience, yeah. right? And so I had no idea that was going to be my first yeah you know my first contract amazing the full circle and <laughs> yeah. and what makes this and other real life stories more than stories lives such as yours um and contributions to humankind is that whole tragedy into triumph right when you take something instead of letting it weigh you down uh you bring it and then it flowers into something beautiful like this yeah. Um, so that I started with the teachers because yeah. I, as I told you, they didn't see me, right. and so I wanted to make sure that uh, yeah. you know they could recognize signs and symptoms of trauma in young people. Yeah. And then of course it morphed into because not only did I have that trauma, but um, being in police work 
is, you know, you deal with a whole lot of different things that really can take you in another direction. Constantly, personal and, and professionally. A- absolutely. And, and I'll give you one good example is, I, you know, I taught in the police academy and I could tell you a million of my th- things that happened with me that really traumatized me at work as well. But something that was significant is I taught um, uh, in the police academy and the recruits. And so they graduate and then they go to their police departments to start. So I had one kid that started one, the first day on the job, murder-suicide. Wow. Right? Here's a kid, 22 years old. He walks into a house and it's a murder-suicide. He's seen somebody's brains on the on the wall and, and this and that. He just got out of the police academy, right? You have 30 more years to go. Mm on that department, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to experience different things. And so now this has morphed into me helping police officers to deal with their trauma yeah. because it's... And the force generally has no, no preventative measures for something like that. Exactly. It's only after this particular gentleman you know, or woman right. on the force decides one day to explode and then now they want to engage yeah, we, and that's too late we were not never taught um how to take care of ourselves we mm. were taught how to serve mm-hmm. but police officers generally aren't taught how to take care of ourselves right. well you know wellness or anything now yeah, yeah. it's you know coming yeah. to the forefront because of so many police suicides right Right. You know, and first responders. Yeah, like how do we get it before it gets there and, and they kill themselves or kill someone else right. needlessly, Ed- obviously. Education, you know. uh, right. education, you know. Prevention, awareness. mental health, yeah. support. It's not weak. Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag. It's definitely. Yep. <laughs> so Linshaw Group, the website is the same? Yes. Linshawgroup.com. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I hope you all will share this with anyone, uh, first responders or and just anyone in general. I mean, we all need this. We need to feel that it's okay to tap in, to check in constantly, and that it's not weak, right? It definitely isn't weak. It's courageous to yeah. face those things that yeah. have weighed you down. Yeah. yeah. And do so constantly and get better. And Absolutely. So we can have good lives. You know, you deserve good lives out there, first responders. You take care of all of us. We need to take care of you. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for all you do, (laughs) Miss Lynn Shaw, and have done and continue to do for so many. This has been another Maximum Health Quality Living, and this is brought to you in part by Vell Health. Um, Also a great way to be preventative and to support your mental health and your wellness. VellHealth.com. Download the app today.